Welcome to Tangential Soup, a weekly podcast discussing life in Australia, technology, food, fitness, and the like. Hosted by myself, David Caddy, Melbourneian, independent developer, and tea enthusiast, as well as my good childhood friend, Alexander Carr, Sydney cider, slave to the man, karate practitioner, and lover of adventure. This week we talk about pizza-making robots, city forests, and large apps. follow-up today, so moving on to our first topic. I sent you a short video about a pizza-making robot, a new venture that I thought was quite interesting. Did you see that, Alex? Yeah. Um, the way they the way they talk, it's not. It's really just more about putting the robots in kind of a production line in the sections where humans aren't really necessary. So. I think one of the big points of the um, of the video, from what I gathered, was that you know there are certain things that robots will never be able to do as well as humans, or at least certainly in the near future. And that is tasting food, um, preparing recipes, and, and and knowing what the best recipes are. And really, just the robots in this particular situation have been just basically put in to put. Uh, Put pizzas in the oven, spread sauces on bases, um, and very little else. But it's, it's still very interesting. And the way they uh, the way they have a business model where they have a truck that drives around to various residents and actually warms the pizza up before they arrive, I think that's that's very good. Yeah, like the mini ovens inside the van. Yes, yeah. I found that incredibly interesting too. I don't know how you could make that economically viable. It seems like, like that truck would be what? in the hundreds of thousands to outfit and have a decent truck? Well, that was my thought as well. And and another thing is when they were kind of pulling the pizzas out of the ovens and onto those little boxes, which didn't really seem to have any any kind of rims to them, my first thought was, what if you drop the pizza? You know, you've got to go back to the store and get another one. And then you're running this expensive truck back to the store to grab another pizza and suddenly this person has a pizza that's, you know, half an hour or to an hour late. Yes. So to explain this just a little bit more, this is uh, an operation called Zoom, Z-U-M-E. It's a new pizza delivery service and company. I can't actually remember where they're operating out of, but somewhere in America. And what they do after the pizza's been made, they put it in the trucks, which have these little slots little sort of slot ovens that they go into and then when they get to the place where the pizza needs to be delivered they sort of eject it out of these slot ovens on a little conveyor belt and onto a tray although it only kind of goes halfway onto it and then the guy has to poke it on the rest of the way yeah it is interesting though and also in terms of the um, robot itself it isn't actually one robot because there's sort of one to make the dough, one to spread the dough and put the sauce on or something, and then they had another slice, slicer one. The, the slicer one really got me as well, because my, my thought was with the slicer one, okay, so you've got a robot that you kind of, you know, slices your slices your pizza for you, but you've still got to have a human that puts it in the machine, like mm. in the slicing machine. And, I mean, surely, economically speaking, you could just 
buy one of those little pizza slices, slice it yourself <laughs> for what, like one thousandth of the cost? <laughs> Probably. Although the the only advantage there is at least you get like a hundred percent even slices every time. Well, that that was actually what I thought as well, to be honest. Um, that was something that occurred to me. But yeah, it seems it seems incredibly inefficient. Yeah, no, it is. And then also for the actual toppings and that, they have people there standing to put all those things on as well. So to outfit it, like the initial outlay for a thing like this, it's a good marketing exercise. But I don't know if they could really compete. Maybe once their idea is maybe this technology will get cheaper over time. And I think what they want to do is sell it to other, uh, this same sort of technology to other food manufacturing businesses. Yeah. And I, I mean, something that occurred to me when she was speaking, uh, when when uh, I think it was the one of the co-founders of, of uh, this particular organization was speaking and they were, and she was saying that... Uh, you know, one example she used for some food technology that she'd like to provide is a stir-fry machine. I think something like that would be a lot more efficient. But when you have a pizza and you actually have basically what they had was a production line and you know, you've still got multiple humans working on this production line along with the robots, it doesn't really seem to be making the process more efficient in any way, shape or form. Certainly no. not cheaper. That's why I think... Although they're selling pizzas right now, it's probably actually more of an advertisement for their technology, and then that's actually what their business is in the long term, or what they think it will be. Well, that would that would make a lot of sense, actually. Mm. But you're right about that truck. That that truck would be incredibly expensive to uh, build and to maintain as well. And surely it doesn't keep the pizza that much hotter than putting it in one of those um, insulated bags. Well, that was exactly my thought, to be honest. It's not like the pizza's cooked on your doorstep. It's just warmed up on your doorstep. Yeah. I mean, unless they're transporting at massive distances. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. But then that also kind of defeats the whole purpose. It does, doesn't it? <laughs> so, all in all, an interesting idea, but uh, for me, certainly, it didn't seem very economical, and I think you had you had the same thoughts. They had a bunch of um, segments the other day on the ABC, one of our local TV stations in Australia, where they were talking about uh, all this new technology, artificial intelligence, and that coming in and taking people's jobs or being able to do the jobs or a lot of the job of so many different occupations. Well, that's always been the concern with AI, hasn't it? I mean, you know, people are... It's always been the the concern with technology. I mean, people were inventing, you know, harvesting methods back in the 1800s and people were probably screaming then about machines taking their jobs. I think it's... I'm inclined to agree, but some of the reports, like, it sort of did sensationalise it a bit. Um, They had one example where there's this sort of artificial intelligence that can look up various court case and legal information, um very quickly based on limited information, but it sort of intuits what uh, it is the person that actually is looking for and returns pretty good results. Mm-hmm. Whereas to have someone like uh, sort of a paralegal background to like sort through the information and to find the correct mm-hmm. thing can take multiple minutes. It can do it in seconds. But that sort of thing, I think, will just end up being a tool for those people to use. And then they can go and do other things. It's not necessarily going to negate their job. Well, that's that's exactly it. Um, 
uh, about a year and a half ago now, I actually went to a, um, a presentation that was done um, in, in Sydney uh, about creative thinking. And one of the subjects that came up was AI. And um, speaking, that I don't, I don't remember the name of the speaker, but um, one, of, one of the speakers was uh, working for, it was a technology firm, um, and he was talking about AI and how, you know, it's very unlikely that AI will ever actually replace people um, or technology, AI technology will ever replace people just because, you know, it may, we, at the moment, all we can do is we can program AI to perform certain functions, but it's never, or really in the near future, we don't see it getting to the point where it's going to actually be able to fully replace a person. So I think you're, you're exactly right when you say that, like it'll perform certain functions, but it'll just make people's job easier, it won't actually take the people out of the jobs yeah they'll at least be in the short to medium term mostly domain specific artificial intelligence yes which yeah will will just be assistance to people really maybe in the long run robots will take over but uh i think we'll both be dead and gone by then yes and if global warming keeps up maybe the whole planet <laughs> and all this whole crisis with north korea Ah uh, yes, slash Trump. Yes. Like I blame Trump a lot too. Well, yeah. Um, I think it's it's interesting to blame individual people. I think that Trump isn't really Trump's not a cause. Trump's a symptom of a much deeper problem in America, though, isn't he? Because I mean, how has how has a you know a developed country gotten to the point where they de- where they've elected somebody like Trump to lead them? Um, and, you know, it's been a lot of systematic failures. I think throughout america that have kind of gotten to that point because i mean certainly for me if i think rationally you know even if i wanted change i don't think trump's going to be the one to get me that change but for someone else to actually go to a ballot box and elect trump so many other things would have had to have happened before that point to get them into that ballot box that it just seems a bit yeah, it seems a bit ridiculous that it's happening, but it's obviously the result of a long line of things. That's true, but in this specific case, I don't know why you would have such rhetoric broadcast through the media. You know, fire and fury. It doesn't really make sense to me. But, I mean, that's the thing. Like, I know it doesn't make sense to you, but that's just how some people are, you know. But surely that's not a good way of handling any situation when nuclear weapons are involved. Well, I find I find that interesting because I mean for a world leader, certain certainly I would like to think for a world leader it would never even be an option. But obviously for Trump, it is, and he's already discussing that particular option. And I think that I don't know, it's it's not really I mean, all right, you can blame Trump if you want to, but Trump's not really the problem. You know, if you get rid of Trump, there's still going to be the underlying issues that have allowed Trump to come to power. So, yes, Trump may be an issue and maybe his language is terrible. But, I mean, I always, my understanding of Trump was that he was always going to be like this. He was always going to be incredibly childish, very reactionary and just not really fit to be president. So, well, it's not a good thing. It's not really that surprising, I think, to anybody. Yeah, true, true. Sad, but true. Did you see this video I linked you about the skyscrapers with trees all around them? I did indeed. Do you know we have one of those in Sydney? 
Do you really? I did not know that. It's not trees, but they're like they're clinging. It's kind of a clinging uh, flower bed. So when I say we have one of those in Sydney, we have something similar in Sydney. Mm. Um, and I will send you a link in a moment. But basically, what it looks like is it's. Uh, I'd say it's. It doesn't look quite as good as the ones in in the video that you've uh, that you've linked. These are in Milan, by the way. In Milan, yeah. Yeah, and it's just a big skyscraper with trees growing on all the balconies. It actually does look quite good, I have to say. The maintenance on it must be crazy, though. I know they showed all the uh, people descending down on ropes and doing various trimmings and that. Yes, yes. There must be so much leaf litter on the ground. <laughs> yeah, well, that was something that uh, that struck me as well. The maintenance the maintenance of those particular buildings because um, one of the things as you said was they were they were kind of going down and they were trim- trimming the trees as they as they abseiled down the side of the buildings um and i mean while that's good and all you then have to have someone who actually does that probably several people who do that as a full-time job and maintain these buildings um which yeah, it does does actually kind of make you wonder, doesn't it? What's uh, what it'd be like underneath them? It's just covered in leaf litter. Mm. Um, I mean, I have seen several theoretical pictures and um, I guess ideas about building skyscrapers that have, you know, trees along the side, as these ones too. But how do you maintain that? I think that's the real question. Yeah, and over time, I suppose, but it does look good. I don't know how I'd feel about living in such a building though. Well, like I feel like if I want trees, then I probably just want my own house with a little bit of a yard as opposed to sort of like a tree growing out of a tiny square. Yeah, that's a good point. And I think one of the things I was suggesting was that these particular buildings would help combat pollution yes. by obviously filtering the air. But I don't know. Does it, does it work like that? There weren't that many trees on that particular building. I mean, it would certainly help as opposed to a building that has no trees on it. But you're right, I don't know to what degree it would actually alleviate that. Because, I mean, I've heard the idea that if you put a pot plant, you know, like a, or a potted tree, a small potted tree in the side of your room, it's going to filter the air. But I, I, I'm not convinced that that's actually how trees work. I mean, not to say that I don't think it's a good idea, because I think it looks lovely. And um, I would certainly love it if all the buildings around, around Sydney looked like that. But... Um, in terms of practicality, I'm just not sure. But I mean, I, when you were kind of, kind of talking about the leaf litter down below um, on, on the footpath for the buildings, I mean, really, all you need is just to have a street sweeper come by every every night, which probably already happens in the city anyway to clean it. So uh, I suppose that wouldn't be a huge issue. No, it's just interesting. Like nowhere else ever, except for these buildings, I suppose, have so many trees been stacked vertically. On top of it. Yes. <laughs> so in terms of the concentration, I mean, I assume these are not deciduous trees. Uh, well, yes, you'd assume so. Well, that would be the smart choice, I guess, wouldn't it? But regardless, I'm sure they lose leaf every now and again, especially with winds up that high. Yes. Yeah, no, you're right. Um, I wouldn't I wouldn't get it for its climate change benefits. I think, I think you know, you could open up more space for, uh, for parks in the cities if you want to you want to combat uh, air pollution or you know work on reducing vehicles in the cities is probably another good way and stop stop coal being burnt too Mm. um but certainly for its looks i think it's i think it'd be value for money in that particular area 
depending on the maintenance, I suppose, as well. Mm. I suppose body corporate would be a bit higher. Yes, <laughs> that's a good point. <laughs> so, like, something that I wanted to talk about just a little bit is the fact that apps, as in smartphone apps, are getting ridiculously big in terms of the size that they take up on the memory in your phone. I don't understand why necessarily. As someone that makes apps myself, I know really what goes into a lot of these things. I don't understand why they're so very bloated. Like this is on iOS, but for example, Twitter, the regular Twitter client, is 197 megabytes. The Messenger app for Facebook is 252 megabytes. And Netflix is only 114. Okay, wow. And like Google Hangouts, it's at a reasonable 92. And you would say, what's the feature set of Hangouts versus Messenger? Pretty similar. But Facebook is like two and a half times larger. Are you aware of what makes it take up so, up so much space? Not really. Um, like I'm sure they have a lot of things in there to sort of gather user data because they sell ads to people. So that probably takes up some amount of space. Um, in terms of Facebook, I know they have a lot of various stickers and things, although most of those are downloadable. I think some are inbuilt into the app. So maybe that takes a little bit of space. I imagine, though, just because they have such a huge amount of people working on it, that a lot of it comes from overhead from having different frameworks that would be embedded into the app um, built by different teams. And when you package up those different frameworks, which is sort of like a block of functionality, that adds a little bit of overhead and that multiplied however many times can really, you know, just add to the size of apps. Right, okay. But if they had any sort of focus on it, I bet they could shave it in half if they wanted to. The fact is they just don't really care. And... Probably Which for most people, they don't. it doesn't really matter. If your phone has probably 64 gigabytes or more, this is not really of concern to you. Mm-hmm. But even in 2017, there are a lot of even flagship phones that come standard with like 16 gigs of memory. And by the time you take a few photos, you install a few apps, you've got nothing left. Yeah, right. Okay. Well, that's... Well, honestly, you're, I mean, I think you're right, like, in terms of the fact that I would never even think about the size of an app. It's just not something that would occur to me. Plus, and although this is a teeny tiny point, but if you have an app that takes twice the size to download, you're using twice as many resources in terms of electricity, in terms of either the Wi-Fi or cellular bandwidth. And across the world, it's something like Facebook that is, you know, used by a billion people. It's maybe not super insignificant, and I feel like if they wanted to, and I think they actually should try to address that to some degree to bring it down, because I don't know, because I can't install it, but remember we talked about that ultra-lightweight version of um, the Facebook Messenger app that they have available in like developing nations like India? Yes, yeah, I recall that. I bet that's way under 100 megabytes. It's probably in the tens. Really? Okay. Yeah, low tens. Well, it's really, I find it a very interesting that nobody kind of thinks about this. I mean, well, obviously, Facebook are aware of the size, but that they haven't done anything to address it. When, as you said, like, it's not an insignificant thing. 
No, it's not. And on iOS and that, they have various technologies where you can download different components sort of after the fact. Um, so, you know, if you weren't a user of particular features, they could totally do that. I mean, maybe it makes it a little bit more complicated to use, but they could also do it seamlessly in the background probably. Yeah. There's a lot of ways they could, a lot of things they could do to address this. And I really think they should. No one thinks about it. And yeah, they used to think about it back in the day when um, there was a limit. I can't remember what it was. It might have been 50 megs that on iOS at least you couldn't download an app that was larger than 50 megs on cellular. Ah, right. Okay. And now I think you can, but you have to like okay it. But for a long time there, everyone really tried to get their app under 50 megs. But I guess when they started blowing past that, then they're like, oh, we actually we have no <laughs> incentive whatsoever to keep it small. So if it goes to 200, 300, who cares? <laughs> That's a good point. You know, once you've crossed that threshold, you might as well just go way beyond it. Yeah. But yes, it's just uh, not efficient use of resources. Like most of my apps are maybe one, two, three megabytes. And yeah, they're a lot simpler than a social networking thing. But there's no reason why they should be in the hundreds of megabytes. Yeah, okay. It's interesting that you think about that because, I mean, wouldn't it... So basically at this point, though, there wouldn't be much benefit for someone or at least a larger company that's making an app to create a smaller app. Well, yeah, that's the thing, right? There's probably no real benefit on their side as on the company side, and it's going to create a fair amount of work. The benefit only comes on the user side. You know, when we were trying to install StarCraft the other day, and it's like 23 gigabytes or something? Yes, but it becomes playable after. Yeah, well, at least that's sort of an acknowledgement that the size of the game is freaking massive, that they have it that you don't need to download all the textures to actually be able to start playing it in the first place. You only have to download, I don't know, what was it, two, three, four gigabytes before you could actually start playing it? Yeah, about that. Yeah, I think so. But it's still huge, and they've gone, well, we can't have a game that takes 23 gigabytes to download even in 2017. Some people, like I was at my parents' house, and we have the MBN, which when it's working is actually pretty quick. I think I managed to download it in 20 minutes or something. But I know for you, it took that long to even get to the playable stage. Yes, it did, yeah. And yeah, Australia is maybe not at the super cutting edge of internet connectivity, but there is a lot of nations worse than us. And so if you think about it, that's another reason why, I mean, that's the main reason why Facebook have their stripped down version available in developing nations, right? Not only because the app while you're using it takes a huge amount of data to actually use, but to get it onto the phone in the first place takes a huge amount of data. And the Networks over there are both slower, but also the rates for usage are a lot higher if you want to use that sort of thing. So that's why they do make these specialized products as opposed to just addressing it globally, which I think would be more responsible in a sense, even though I know these resources are maybe not that precious at this point in time. All interesting points, David. Yeah, I don't really know what my point is other than I find it annoying when something doesn't have to be so big that they just cram stuff in there and they don't seem to care. 
especially also because Facebook are on this weird cycle that every week they have an update for their app no matter what. <laughs> Half the time it seems like it changes nothing. <laughs> Sounds lovely. It's just every week they have a new version and it's nonsensical. And like, because um, every time there's an update, they have release notes for the app and it sort of is meant to say what's changed. And for the longest time now, probably for over a year or more, the update notes just say, every week we try to add and improve new things for Facebook and Facebook Messenger. It doesn't actually say anything about what's different. Maybe there is nothing different. They just want to have the feeling of newness, maybe. (laughs) It's possible. I'm sure maybe there's tiny tweaks here and there, but that in itself is kind of insane. Why update something that there's no real need to update? And if they did actually make some nice new enhancements, why wouldn't they tell people about it? I don't know. It just frustrates me as a fellow developer that I wouldn't do this sort of thing. Like, if I had a teeny tiny change, unless it was a critical thing, I would wait until I had four, five, six, seven of them, and I would make a point of saying what was changed so that the user knew and there was a reason to actually download and install this new version. Well, that makes perfect sense to me, honestly. Yeah. Um, and I think I think that your uh, your indignation at this is justified. I also just don't like Facebook. Facebook is is a bit of a black hole, I think. And I think they've just created an incredibly successful, useless product. It's interesting how so many people love Apple and Google and Microsoft and even Amazon, but there aren't that many people that love Facebook. There's billions of people that use it but not too many people that actually love their products. Well, that's interesting, isn't it? Because you're right about that, actually. There's people that say it's okay and it serves a purpose and they continue to use it, sure. But there are so many absolute vehement fans of all these other companies, but not really Facebook. Yeah, true. It's actually a very good point and not something that I'd ever thought of. Thanks again for joining me, Alex. Not a problem, David. Pleasure as always. You can follow and get in touch with us on Twitter at Tangential Soup, and you can find this week's show notes with more information about today's topics at tsp.fm slash 18. If you enjoyed today's episode, please consider sharing it with anyone that you think might also. And we'll talk to you again next week. Bye. Ciao. So, Alex, I bought you a teeny tiny Chearson CX-10 quadcopter, a remote-controlled drone that I thought would be fun to play around with. It's only 20 bucks off eBay. How'd you go with that? Uh, it was really cool. It was, it was really cool. Um, my first experience flying it was um, in the office. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and uh, I crashed it into the roof, and then I crashed it into somebody's desk, and I thought it's probably not... Not the type of toy that should be played with in the office, so I stopped. <laughs> um, and my second, uh, my second experience flying it was actually uh, in the park in Hyde Park in Sydney. So um, that was oh, a yeah. lot better. Uh, I took it out. It seems to be fairly resilient because I still managed to crash it into a few trees. I haven't quite 
mastered the steering of it yet. Um, it still seems to always drift to one side. Um, like it seems to have a, a forwards and a backwards that I couldn't really get the hang of, but it's incredibly hardy um, and awesome fun. Uh, I did try flying inside as well, which wasn't so good. I haven't, I haven't quite mastered the whole uh, just getting it to hover in one place yet. Uh, it still moves around a bit, so I'm not really sure how to fix that. But I guess just just keep playing with it, and mm. figuring it out. Um, it has a few controls on the on the remote control, and I don't really know what they do. Uh, Some of them are for trimming, so if it has a bit of a lean, you can sort of offset it. Um, you can also make it do flips. Yeah, I haven't done a flip yet. Um, I did read through the manual, um, but yeah, I didn't really. I don't think I read through it thoroughly enough, and then I just tried to do it on my own, which didn't really work. So, mm. yeah. For these small ones, Insight is actually almost better if you can have a space that's fairly large, because they don't cope too well with the wind. Yeah, the wind wasn't really a thing for me. I was worried about dirt. Um, yeah. But because I crashed it on the ground, but it seemed to be all right. So. No, they are very hardy. Mm. I've crashed mine a zillion times. <laughs> Yeah, so have I already. Keeps <laughs> on I did manage to break a motor on one, but you can actually get a motor out of China with these teeny tiny motors because, for reference, this drone's only like what, maybe six centimeters by six centimeters square? I'd say about that. Yeah. Two inches, roughly, for our imperial friends. <laughs> um, and yeah, so you can get these the little motors that it comes with, the four for each of the blades, uh, out of China for like. 20 cents wow maybe okay. an extra 20 cents for postage or something ridiculous and yeah so i soldered a new one of those on it works perfect oh perfect wow you soldered it on yeah well you just take it apart and then you know there's a couple little wires in there get your soldering iron out you have a soldering it. iron of course alex i'm an engineer <laughs> <laughs> oh true i suppose you are that's that's a good point i do a tiny bit of electronics every now and again Right, okay. Of course, because with electronics, you need to solve it. Oh, yes. Gosh. Yes. Well, there you go. It's all coming together for me. Not that I'm brilliant at it, but yeah, I can get the job done for basic parts. Well, that's that's fantastic. My dad had a DVR, something for recording um, television, and sort of periodically, maybe every couple of months, I don't know whether it's the uh, wiring to that particular outlet, but every couple of months, it would blow a capacitor, and I'd have to take it apart, put a new capacitor in, and it worked fine. But every couple of months, I keep doing it. So in the end, I just bought him a new one. <laughs> <laughs> but I repaired it probably five or six times because the capacitors are dirt cheap. That's that's an incredibly useful skill to have. And it's also good with the capacitor. Well, the fairly large barrel ones, they have like this uh, little cross hatching on the top of them. Mm-hmm. And you know they go bad when it sort of starts bulging up. Yeah. So it's really easy to do a visual inspection and go, yep, that capacitor is bad. Take it out. Swap it over. Good to go. Wow. That's fantastic. Mm. Um, if my drone breaks, <laughs> um, I don't know. I'm going to be in trouble. Hopefully, it won't break. These tiny ones are really hard to fly, though, because unlike the big ones that sort of have a GPS and they know their altitude and they can adjust and sort of they just hover in the air without you having to do anything, the small ones, that's all on you. So you have one joystick for the throttle and then one for steering. Yeah. So yeah. you've constantly got to be hovering on the throttle to make sure it doesn't go down or go up. 
Yes. You've got to constantly keep adjusting it, which is really tricky. Yes, yes, yes. No, I've, I've experienced that as well. But the good news is if you master that, then the other ones are actually really easy to fly. That's good. I think it's, it's good. Start with the hardest and then, and then work forward from there. Yes. Hardest and most durable probably. And then mm-hmm. the easier ones that are a bit more prone to breaking because they have a bit more force when they crash. I've got to say that I hit the wall with mine pretty hard um, the other day. Like I fully slammed it into the wall. And it didn't didn't even seem bothered by it. You like can, one of the one of the rotors was a bit bent, but yeah, mo- usually they just bend, but they can. The props can break, but you get I think an extra four in the box, and you just pull them off and you put them on. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. They just yep. pop on and off, so that's good. Yeah, altogether an incredibly good product for the cheap price. You can get glow in the dark props too. Oh really? Yeah. <laughs> I think I've got to work on my flying skills before I fly it in the dark, though, or else I'm just going to be a menace to everybody, including myself. <laughs> Would you like a big one with a nice 1080p camera on it? Get some nice sweeping shots. Oh, look, I've told I've told you about my my thoughts on photography. I'd love to I'd love to be more interested in 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 taking photographs and videos, but I don't really think that's ever going to be me. Mm. I bought a DJI Spark, which is like a five hundred dollar one. Haven't flown it yet, though. Is that one of those ones that can like hover behind you and has this smart technology in them? Yes, it is. Does it? Is it good? Well, I don't know. I haven't flown it yet. I took it out of the box, and the gimbal is broken, so I have to send it back. I think. Ah, uh, okay. The gimbal being the uh the stabilizing mechanism that the camera is mounted to. Ah, uh, right. Because okay. as you're flying along, you know, it sort of tilts here and there and everywhere, and so if you were just recording with a camera stuck straight to the body of the thing it would be unwatchable like yeah make right, you seasick. Okay. so it has sort of a two axis gimbal on the more expensive one there's three but basically every roll of the drone is counted with little motors in the gimbal to keep it super steady wow yeah what amazing technology it is pretty awesome um i because i they have those advertised i think on the apple website uh, yeah, I do think they sell them through there as well, yeah. <laughs> what were you doing looking at the Apple website? <laughs> well, actually, so it, it came off the back of your drone. So, obviously, you uh, sent the drone to my work and I kind of took it out of the packaging at work and showed everyone at work the, the little drone. And uh, someone at work sent me a, uh, a link to the the one that you've got there, obviously. So, it's kind of it's kind of black and flat with like mesh on it and, it and it can be folded is that the same one no that's a cooler design but a worse product <laughs> okay the design of that is really nifty but the reviews just trash it because its smarts are really dumb and yeah it has a lot of problems that seemed to have the camera actually mounted inside the drone though also that it doesn't have a gimbal so it's not as not that the one i bought was professional grade but it's probably the cheapest that you can get that you can almost get professional level footage out of. So that one you're talking about is really nifty because it just folds out and you can sort of put it in your pocket and that, but the footage that comes off of it isn't really fantastic. Mm-hmm. Okay. But maybe the next iteration could be cool. 